From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on October 2nd, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. This is our third SC 2024 episode, and it's a continuation of our last one, looking at the people and places that make South Carolina's Republican presidential primary so accurate and consistent in picking the eventual Republican presidential nominee like it has for every year since 1980, with the exception of 2012. Donkey sauce. And there is no wind-down section this time, but we do want to hear from you in the wind-down section, so give us a shout, 803-563-7169. Let us know where you're calling from, your name, and what's on your mind. We love hearing from our listeners, and we love talking about random things in the wind-down section. Not news-related, hot takes, questions, concerns, everything, and more at 803-563-7169. And now, time to get in the episode. God, I'm glad he didn't. What are you doing here? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, get in the trunk. Picture this, Mayan and I are still stopped on the Ravenel Bridge, suspended over the beautiful Cooper River and Wando River, which merge into Charleston Harbor, along with the Ashley River off to the west. <sighs> what a sight. Oh, and look, one of those big post Panamax container ships is cruising into the harbor without tidal restrictions because the port has been dredged to 52 feet, the deepest on the East Coast. Isn't that something, Mayan? You know, it sure is. And you know what else is something, Gavin? Hmm. We're still on the bridge! Oh, <laughs> sweet Sybil Mayan. Yes, of course we are. It's called gridlock. We're accomplishing gridlock. Who does this benefit? Pretty much just me and maybe a handful of other folks, but that's it. I'm proving a point, Mayan. Is this because you're from D.C. and you guys love traffic up there? Mm, D.C. and gridlock, like peas in a pod, both on the Bellway and in Congress. And that's what I'm getting at, Mayan. While some see obstruction, division, lack of foresight, others see beauty, freedom, and democracy at its best. The horns! They sing for us! I'm saying this because much like the lanes of this majestic bridge, Divisions exist in the Republican Party, and South Carolina is no different. Dave Wilson, a statehouse insider, communications and PR guru, and all-around political operator, had this take on gridlock, which he has seen his share of while pushing big legislation. He explains gridlock, which ties into our bigger conversation in this episode. I think we think gridlock is a bad thing sometimes. I don't necessarily think that's the case. We have a bicameral system of government, in which case you can turn and ramrod something through the House of Representatives, and it can be in and out in, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours. And it can go to the Senate, and it's like, whoa, I didn't realize the brakes worked so well. And that level of gridlock is not necessarily bad. It can take some really great ideas and reform them. It can take some really terrible ideas and put the brakes on them wholeheartedly. And I think that that's an important part of how do you also figure out how to incorporate different and new ideas in. So it's not a, it's not always this one size fits all. And I don't think a grand old party, which, you know, we talk about the GOP, it's the grand old party. It was supposed to be the big tent. How do you get as much consensus as possible 
among a group of people. The biggest difference that happens today versus in the past is Ronald Reagan, I think it was Reagan who said this, if I agree with you 80% of the time, we're on the same team. There are some factions that if you're not with me 100%, if you're with me 99%, then you're an enemy. You have to be with me 100%. I can't agree with myself 100% of the time, much less, you know, a group of disparate people who are coming in from different areas, who have different families, who have different structures of the things that they do. They have different jobs. They have different faiths. And, and when those are brought together and you're expecting a single monolithic, everybody has to agree 100% approach, you end up hurting yourself more than helping yourself. I think that's a part of where politics has changed. In the days of Ronald Reagan, Reagan and Tip O'Neill would sit around and, and have a drink and figure out what to do. They go out, out of the room and bloody themselves politically, but they would figure out how to find a way to make it work. There is a lot less of that now. I started to see the sway during the days of Obama, and then we come back to Trump, and now we're back over to Biden, and so this is whole, the pendulum is swinging really hard right now. And the question is, is it eventually going to start settling back down and swinging in the middle? Maybe it'll eventually start to slow itself back down and we'll have a smaller sway back and forth. And none of the regions of our state are exempt from party infighting, which seems to have ramped up more and more these days. For some perspective, Dave traces that political ideology lineage to where we are today. I think what you're seeing right now is over the last 30 years, what I've seen, this is the sixth or seventh iteration and it comes in waves. They had different names. They were uh, We the People, and then they were Rhino Hunt, and then it was Tea Party, and then it was MAGA. And, and so it's the same mentality, the same groups of people, uh, a different moniker that goes on them. We went back in 2010 and did a survey of folks and said, do you identify with the Tea Party? in South Carolina. Like 75% of Republican primary voters would have considered themselves Tea Party. So we said, okay, well, here are Tea Party principles. How do you stand on those issues? 75% of Republican primary voters kind of stood with Tea Party principles. It was four years later, we did the same redo of the same survey questions. 75% of Republican primary voters still agree with Tea Party principles, but they would no longer identify with the Tea Party. That number was down to 25%. So there's a place where the principles that are there are what you see in the Republican Party, but the different flavors of the Republican Party leadership are showing themselves up differently. So are you MAGA or are you not MAGA? Were you Tea Party or are you not Tea Party? And so people want to polarize themselves. They want to encamp themselves with a group of people who think more like them. So if you are with Trump now or you're with somebody else, then you're in a different camp. Instead of recognizing the fact that eventually, because of the primary process in, in, in American politics, we beat each other up first and then we go beat up on the other person. Unlike the parliamentary style where, you know, everybody wins and then we beat each other up to see who's going to end up being the leader in the end. Okay, so there's some infighting here in the state among Republicans, but this state is still ruby red. Again, we're not Georgia or North Carolina. We're solid Republican, and we've seen margins strengthen in those statewide races. Drew McKissick, chairman of the state Republican Party and national co-chair, elaborated on that. 
I think we are a, a much more conservative cross-section of the National Republican Party. I think that's fair to say. You know, it's, it's, we are a good national representation of the Republican base, but in a more conservative sense. You know, we've gone from uh, the uh, minority that can meet in a phone booth, you know, in the 70s uh, to uh, uh, having virtually two-thirds of both chambers of the legislature today, uh, all the statewide constitutional offices, six out of seven congressional seats, both Senate seats. Uh, and an increasing number of uh, county council and local offices around the state. So you heard Drew say that the state is getting even more conservative down to the local level. I know we've been talking about different areas, so let me give our listeners, especially our transplants and visitors, a geography lesson and define some terms. A.T., some music, please. Let's start with the upstate, which used to be referred to as the upcountry from the 1700s through the 1800s when it was called the Piedmont and was rebranded in the 1960s and 70s as the Upstate. This roughly 10-county area is home to the 3rd and 4th congressional districts. It spans the northwest corner of the state and the borders with Georgia and North Carolina. Keep moving northeast and you hit the 5th congressional district, which is part of the greater Charlotte area, with York County being that main anchor, along with Lancaster, and other counties that lead you down into the Midlands. But let's stay along the North Carolina border and head east, there you enter the seven-county PD region, named after the PD River and the eponymous tribe that occupied the land. This takes us to the Grand Strand, a term that comes from an old definition of strand, meaning the area of land that borders a body of water. This crescent stretch of beach runs from the North Carolina line down to Georgetown County, and along with the PD, it makes up the seventh district. Continuing down the coast, the entirety of Berkeley County, as well as major parts of Charleston, Beaufort, and Dorchester counties in the first congressional district. Um, purplish area covering the low country, called such because it's super flat, and in some places, below sea level. It's bordered by the only Democratic district in the state, the Sixth, which reaches from Charleston back up into Columbia, as well as much of the southern I-95 corridor down to the Georgia border. Next to that is the four-county 2nd Congressional District, which includes parts of Orangeburg and Richland counties, and all of Aiken, Barnwell, and Lexington counties, home to the Savannah River site. God, Gavin, that was long. You just must love listening to yourself talk. Listen, I'm giving them a visual picture of our state. But don't listen to just me. Let's talk to Hope Walker, who's the SCGOP Executive Director, who spoke about the migratory effects on local parties to the point where areas that were Republican ghost towns are now relevant. Whenever I started with the state party in 2011, um, there were not active Republican parties in certain parts of the state. So like in Allendale, in Hampton, in Bamberg, Marion, Darlington, Dillon, those areas, and then McCormick is another, and Fairfield County too. And so what we've seen, you know, since then, and with people moving into the state based upon, you know, economic development that's going on or whatever, those those county party organizations are booming. Um, now we're having to pay attention, which is a good thing, to all 46 counties. And since we've been talking about divisions and factions, I asked Hope how the party deals with such fights and to make sure that everyone plays nice in the sandbox. So we have a great thing called the party platform. <laughs> and that's evolved throughout the years. Um, and we, you know, our state convention is who votes on, you know, we have a platform committee. It's presented at state convention. That's voted on. And, you know, we point to those those different points that are in there. And it's like, listen, we are all Republicans. And there's probably an issue that, you know, we're not all going to necessarily agree on, but we can get to that issue. But we have to remember why we are Republicans. And um, this is a red state. This is a red county. You know, we need to make sure we're working together for the good of the party, for the good of the platform. 
And we haven't even gotten into the regional barbecue, which can be pretty divisive and, of course, very territorial. We'll save that for another episode, perhaps one on how to win South Carolina. That's right, all the tips and tricks. But we are a bit of a Goldilocks-sized state, if you ask me. But who are these voters that live in these places? I know we touched on it a bit before, but let's keep looking at these regions and voters that represent a key cross-section of the Republican Party that makes us representative of the National Party makeup. That's one of the big things everyone praises South Carolina for, is its ideological makeup from the religious conservatives in the upstate to more social liberals and fiscal conservatives in the Midlands and low country to a grab bag in the Grand Strand with conservative retirees from the north and other parts. Governor Henry McMaster's chief of staff, Trey Walker, really understands the state because he has been closely involved in campaigns here, including the governor's, and travels around South Carolina regularly. I may be preempting a future episode with this, but here's what Trey said candidates need to be aware of when trying to campaign here. I think the the, the political shift in the South has been coming for a long time, and I think, and this is my opinion, not the opinion of the governor's office or as a state employee, this is Trey Walker's opinion, but I believe that the leftward turn of the Democratic Party post Bill Clinton has driven more people to vote Republican on a local level. So for instance, two year, not two years, 2020, not 2022, but 2020, Justin Bamberg won his, his house seat in Bamberg County and he shares the name of his county his father's a sheriff, and he won by a handful of votes. So in rural South Carolina, I, I mean, I, I have told folks this, never in my professional life did I think Henry McMaster or any Republican candidate for governor was going to carry McCormick County, was going to carry Darlington, carry Chesterfield, carry all those rural counties, Abbeville, uh, Greenwood. Um, those were all, you know, yellow dog Democrats counties. But I think the rural, what's happened is that rural yellow dog Democrat no longer exists. And so that's a very long-winded way of me telling you that, yes, it was happening before Trump and it'll keep on going. So what Trey just said about the reddening of these counties is something we've been hearing from a lot of folks. And the battlegrounds are out there for the Republicans running statewide, in this case, for the Republican presidential nomination. And this is happening in some of the fastest growing areas in our state. Trey talked about the 2022 governor's race, but let's look at some recent congressional races. The 7th Congressional District, home of the PD and Grand Strand, saw a seven-member primary race in 2022 to unseat Congressman Tom Rice over his vote to impeach President Donald Trump over the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Rice held that seat since the district was formed in 2012, following the 2010 census. And in that huge primary, he lost outright to then-state representative Russell Fry who had Trump's endorsement. Meanwhile, in the 1st Congressional District, you've seen the purpling of the area due to transplants and the 2018 midterms when Joe Cunningham became the first Democrat to win that seat in some 40 years after a hard right primary challenge by State Representative Katie Arrington unseated well-known Republican Congressman and former Governor Mark Sanford, an OG Tea Party guy, but not a Trump guy. Arrington failed in 2020 to regain the nomination even with the endorsement of Donald Trump and lost to Nancy Mace, who handily beat her Democratic challenger in 2022. So a tale of the two growing coastal congressional districts. 
So a lot more battles being fought on the coast than in the upstate, though that may not be the case for very long. Primary challenges are expected come June for Congressman Jeff Duncan and William Timmons, both who have had some rather public personal issues, which in the upstate, the epicenter of where politics meets family values, this could potentially pose big challenges. Plenty to watch after the February 24th presidential primary here in South Carolina. But let's listen to Dave Wilson again drive home these regions, specifically the upstate in Greenville and Myrtle Beach on the Grand Strand. It used to be a whole lot easier because the regions seemed to be a little bit more monolithic. You know, you've got the People's Republic of Charleston. You know, it is its own little area, kind of like it's the California of South Carolina, and you never know exactly what flavor you're going to get from there. The Greenville... Spartanburg, Anderson, swath of counties, you know, Oconee to Pickens all the way to Gaffney and down into Lawrence and and that area has always been like a conservative stronghold. But downtown Greenville has become very different. It has a much bluer look to it. It has a much more purple way of voting. And that is uniquely different than the broader scope of what you see coming from Anderson or Spartanburg even. And and we find this in politics all the time. The more concentrated a population into a population center, the bluer that area becomes. But Myrtle Beach is, is uniquely different. And, and part of that is because the people who have moved to Myrtle Beach, keep in mind, it's the fastest growing area of South Carolina right now. So you have a lot of in-migration, but you have a lot of in-migration of people who aren't from this from the area, who've come to South Carolina, who have gone... I'm going to retire to South Carolina. They come to Myrtle Beach. So they bring a level of conservatism that is a lot more out there. I'm going to stop short of calling it abrasive. Um, but it's, it's a New York-style mentality with a conservative bent in a state where typically we talk about how genteel and how nice we are and our southern ways of being, and all of a sudden you've got somebody else coming in. But they have a very Trumpian approach to politics which is different than what you see in other areas of the state. You know, your upstate Republican and your PD, you know, Grand Strand Republican, while they still agree on much of the same values, they take very different approaches. And I think that's one of the reasons why the flavors across the state of South Carolina are so melded and so different. The Trump effect in 2016 was real. We've talked to Trump voters who were engaged because of his message in 2016 and remain motivated. We'll look at that further in our dedicated episode to the 2016 race in the coming months. But Lexington Republican Representative R.J. May, who co-chairs the House Freedom Caucus, which has had plenty of rifts with members of the House Republican Caucus, is not worried about internal fights within county parties and how they affect turnout. I think it has zero effect on an average Republican primary voter. Um, you know, every meeting at the Republican Party Lexington County, we might have 50 people, but there are going to be 10,000. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, there in Lexington County in 2016, there were 55,000 votes, but only 50 people show up to the Republican Party meeting every month. Uh, the internal political drama of the Lexington County Republican Party has zero effect on who's, who's turning out and who they're going to vote for, in my opinion. Just the numbers aren't large enough. They don't have as big a sway as they did pre-2012 when the Tea Party started uh, or these other external groups, Bombs for Liberty. Uh, I mean, you go through Freedom Works, go through the list. Um, It used to be that the party was the party and their apparatus was unparalleled. 
But now you have these different groups, you have PACs, you have other organizations that have decentralized the ability to reach out uh, and touch voters. And whether it's Greenville or Lexington or O'Ree or anywhere else in the, anywhere else in the state, I, I don't think that the uh, local party plays as big of a role uh, as it did 10, 15 years ago. As for the folks who make up the Republican Party of South Carolina, they sound as diverse as the regions. And all politics is local. And when it comes to South Carolina, that's as true as it is anywhere. We wrap up with SCGOP Chairman Drew McKissick talking about that diversity and what it means for the 2024 race. We tend to oversimplify what boxes these voters fit in. You know, just because someone can be categorized as, say, a faith-based voter doesn't mean they don't also care about immigration or they don't also care about, you know, trade and the impact that, you know, globalization might have on factories in their local town, you know. Uh, and people care about a lot of different issues. So it's, and there's a lot of cross-section to that. You know, and I could say that, you know, out of all the time that I've worked in primaries over the years, I probably saw the most diverse coalition of uh, supporters for one candidate in that particular primary that I've ever seen, uh, you know, in any other presidential primary in the past. You know, from, you know, um, you know people who you know, might work as, uh, you know, in lawn care to people who were, uh, you know, the deacon in a Baptist church uh, to, you know, someone who might be considered a moderate Republican, you know, banker friend of mine to uh, I saw a you know, divorced Puerto Rican mother of three, you know, all of which who were for this one candidate who had a message that I think resonated better with voters. So it was very diverse. And it'll be interesting to see how diverse those coalitions of voters are for the different candidates this time. God, I'm just glad to be off the Rapinel Bridge. Mm, I kind of miss it. <laughs> but I'm glad we're on Route 17 now, heading up to Myrtle Beach, since that seems like all we've been talking about. Yes, a little road trip to the Grand Strand. The future awaits us. Okay, I mean, I know a lot's happening there, but that doesn't sound like you, my aunt. Gavin, where we're going, we don't need roads. Okay, yeah, glad I'm driving there, but uh, join me and Mayan in future episodes where we learn what it takes to win here, how campaigns work, the history of dirty tricks in our politics, and we'll look in detail at the past three primary winning campaigns. Then we're going to give you everything you need to know about the 2024 candidates and how to vote in the February 24th primary. Subscribe to the South Carolina Lead wherever you find podcasts, and we'll have a new SC 2024 designated episode for you every other Tuesday. You can find out more about the primary, the latest news from the trail, and more at SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org and SCETV.org slash SC2024, your home for campaign 2024 coverage. As always, thanks for listening to the pod and do your leaderly duty and give us a shout at 803-563-7169 or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For the South Carolina Lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Oh my God, I'm sorry. We're still on this bridge! <laughs> I did, everybody's like earphones blow up. <laughs> <laughs>